Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Man there trying to stop Joe from getting himself into further trouble. It's not a bad ball for Pelé on the right side. It's Carlos Alberto. And what a great goal that was. Carlos Alberto. Maradona just walked away from Hoddleton. Maradona. the scoreless thriller podcast i'm alex as always and i'm joined by leon leon how are you doing i'm doing great very happy to be here with you guys and we're delighted to be joined by sean mccabe sean is the world's first football club climate officer at bose or bohemian fc in in ireland and yeah we're delighted to have you on the podcast today sean thanks million alex nice to be here Sean, uh, in addition to his work with, with Bose, he's uh, he ex- executive manager of the Task Think Tank for Action and Social Change um, Centre. He recently le- published a flagship report, The People's Transition, Community-Led Development for Climate Justice. And before joining Task, he joined with, he worked for the Mary Robinson Foundation. So Sean, before we get into, to kind of get this ball rolling a little bit and get this discussion going, I kind of got to ask the obvious question as to like, how did this role at Bose come about where they came to you and like, we need a, a climate officer? Well, it's kind of interesting, I guess it didn't, um, it didn't really happen. It happened very organically. There was no one coming to anyone else and saying we like, we need to. Uh, it was a result of a few conversations. I think the first was one with um, 
Hibernian Football Club in Scotland about two years ago, where uh, they had a delegation visiting uh, uh, Dublin. And um, I'm a member of Bohemian Football Club. Obviously, climate justice and climate action is something I've been working on for the best part of a decade. And so I went along because Hibernian have a great record in doing uh, the Greenest Club in Scotland, right? And so we went along to learn what they were doing. Um, and that was very interesting. Um, and it was the starting point. Maybe that was the spark that, that, that catalyzed everything. But uh, you mentioned just there now I work um, with a think tank in Dublin. I, I, I run a climate justice center in that think tank. And um, we published a report, uh, which is a very applied report about how, you know, communities all around the world are facing this massive transition. Uh, due to the climate crisis. And, and that report tries to understand how communities aren't just passive passengers in that transition, but actually can own it, can drive it, can be the transition. Um, and so the report was well received. It was called The People's Transition, and it was um, uh, subsequently funded. We received funding from um, a bank here in, in Ireland, uh, AIB, to prototype the model in two locations. So we had one rural, which is in the north of the country in, in County Donegal, in a place called Ardra, and one in Dublin. And we decided to focus it on Fibsborough because I lived there. And if the lockdowns had persisted, I'd still be able to do the project. Yeah. Um, but also because there are some very interesting anchor institutions, which the model that that project describes requires. Anchor institutions are like community focal points that allow a community to build from you know like it's almost like if you're scaling a mountain and, and and you you know you know when you see those guys free climbing and they're they're sticking those ratchets in to the, the cliff face they're they're to the sort of build they're like it's universities it's hospitals it's things that are are really of the place and bohemians football club was one of those things right so um i went and spoke to bose about the project that was about to kick off and and I left that meeting as, like you say, the world's first climate justice officer. So it was kind of all very serendipitous and very like, you know, by that evening we were announcing the position and uh, it blew up. I, I wasn't anticipating it. Um, Daniel Lambert, the COO of Bose, kind of said, you know, when we do something like this, the response will be significant because once you start mixing football with another issue, it really it's 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 a pretty powerful catalyst you know and then he was right it, it really has been and what makes bose special as a as a football club to kind of choose as a use as a community focal point like what is there something do you think there's yeah. something unique there's something it? very unique about yeah. it it's it's fan owned it's mm. it's it's member owned and and this is a critical point and i think that you know the super league has really shone a light on this stuff over the last over the last uh fortnight but we have two options in life in general and how we proceed from this point, uh, whether it's football or whether it's how we take action on climate change or how, how, it's, how we deal with our housing problems that we we're encountering all over Europe. Things can either be owned by large companies or they cannot be owned by the people. And that, that's fundamentally what this, this comes down to, is, is that Bohemians is the opposite of those clubs uh, not not the history of those clubs, but the present of those clubs who are being dragged into that Super League uh, because they're fan-owned and they're member-owned and they give the community 
a sense of, of um, you know, they give the people within our community around, around Daily Man Park a sense of belonging. They give the members a sense of belonging. They, they, it, it, and the club draws legitimacy from that. And we saw that, you know, club is, it, it's in the name, like a club is meant to be a thing that's made up of members. Mm. And and um, they're not franchises, and so uh, it's actually as this project and this climate justice initiative of, of Bose has developed a broader landscape around, like you know, the conversation around climate and the conversation around football is also evolving, and 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 this awareness of of the opportunities for co ownership and co creation and 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 um, the agency. That exists within communities, and this is a really important thing. It's like, if you can own a football club, you can own a wind turbine, and like share in the power that it generates. Or you can you can uh, own like a silver pasture business, which is the idea of plant, planting trees on farmland and 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 grazing cattle in between those trees. So you're taking down your emissions. So all of these things can be co-owned, and we're kind of if we sleepwalk the next 10 years, we'll come to a point where this massive transformation has taken place and all of the tools of that transformation were privately owned by people similar to those who own those Super League clubs. Or we can be like very intentional about it and try very hard and, and, and work with government and work with local decision makers to have it end up a little bit more like the Bohemian situation where you have members owning various aspects of the climate transition so it's 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 i hope that makes sense it's a yeah. bit uh, esoteric maybe or something but like it's like very no, important it makes it, it makes complete sense um but i think the bohemian fc has been member owned since 1890 yes, exactly right? um and kind of the challenges that we're facing now is how do we reclaim maybe some clubs or some um organizations um, and so the question is, within the more recent football history, was there any example of members taking control of a club again uh, to face these social issues um, and, and come up with a more community-based based approach? There? I'm sure there has been. Nothing, uh, nothing jumps out. Like, obviously, the German 50 plus 1 system was something that was not like it brought in i think i like relatively like in 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 the context of the 150 odd years that football mm -hmm. has been organized i think it's relatively recently right so um but that required that required government support as far as i know as well um i think i think expecting it just there probably has been instances of of clubs going into administration and the fans stepping up and, and saving them and uh, like i'm sure there's umpteen instances of that across the leagues but uh I think it shouldn't just be up to the fans. I think like the system should be put in place. You know, this, for example, this fan-led review that's being spoken about in in the the UK right now should be then backed up by government action in order to ensure that these things are 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 uh, you know because the fans will obviously find that the football club should be fan-owned, right? Yeah. Like that's that's the obvious thing. But but. In order then for that to happen, there needs to be the systems and the supports and the the, the legislation in place to enable a transition yeah. like that. Because uh, the invisible hand of the market, let's say, won't just won't just allow for that. You know. Um, yeah, exactly. And it isn't, but isn't it also about our understanding of professional football at the moment? Because um, if it's 
about the professionalism that the professionalism that we are experiencing right now uh, where you have a huge intake of money coming from huge organizations then surely um, within this competition these uh, clubs with that big money will have uh, the better means of getting better players and performing better and as long as that's the in, the, the sole focus of, of the game it would always be hard for a more community-based uh, club to compete right well exactly that's that's 100 like it's basically we, we we live in a time of very extractive processes that interact with our lives and we don't really realize it right so football i think the, the commercial element of football that like really showed itself badly uh, in the last couple of weeks is a very extractive process. It's about taking money from fans and filtering that money up to either individual owners or shareholders. Um, and that same, you know, like that's, that's, we've kind of gotten used to it, right? Like, you know, and, and, and to a certain extent, like fans might say that their support and their investment in the club through buying merchandise and all of that enables the club to be, a much better um, enables them to spend more money and compete on the pitch, um, but uh, it is also why you get labelled legacy fans, right? Yeah. And it's also why we need these nonsense notions, like the word, the use of the word, did make you sick. But the idea of a solidarity fund uh, for clubs that are going to go into administration because you're going to do irreparable damage to their to the competition structure that they're a part of but like the idea that that's solidarity that's a nonsense like the, the very act of leaving is the opposite of solidarity right and and it's an aggression and um real solidarity we've kind of lost the sense of it and i think football clubs i think in, if you look at the origins of, of football and, and within working communities all across europe um it's about solidarity. It was at the beginning of the trade union movement. It was it was when things really um, were the opposite of what they are now. Or well, well, actually, coming off a slope similar to the one that we're currently rising up, which is like where there was great concentrations of power and wealth, and it was about trying to share that power and wealth out a little bit more and give communities a real sense of belonging and a sense of ownership and a sense of power, and that's. Yeah, I think we've seen 30 years of that being eroded, not just here in Ireland, but across Europe. And uh, I think the fans' response, you know, I, a lot of people have said it's a shame that, and they're right, you know, it's a shame that the same fan response that was mobilised and the fury that was mobilised against the um, Super League couldn't be done against racism. And then, But then in all other aspects of life, the same thing has to be done. Like, you know, the idea that we import vegetables uh, that are picked by slaves, people who do not uh, get paid for what they're doing. And we eat that in our shops all across Europe. And meanwhile, growers, farmers, people who would be able to promote decent and fair wages in Europe are going out of business. And, and it's the exact same extractive process. It's just in a different guise. And so I guess what would be lovely to think about as, as uh, you know, football fans across Europe is how do we take that intensity that went into the resistance of the Super League and put it to fight 
some of the other very serious issues we're facing. And, and one of those is climate justice. And this is why the justice piece is important. It's, it's about rectifying injustice. It's not good enough just to save the planet if we don't learn how to take care of people. That's the key point to this. And I wanted to ask you about that, actually. Like, um, what's the distinction between you being a climate justice officer as opposed to just climate officer? Well, it's um, climate justice is about rectifying injustices. It's about recognizing that we live in an unfair world globally, but also within our towns and cities and our countries, right? That some people have a lot more than others. Um, in Ireland, for example, we have the highest rate of deaths due to excessively cold homes in all of Europe. So more people die just because their homes are cold here than anywhere else in Europe. And that's a that's an embarrassing thing too, but it's also an, an injustice, right? That's an it's it's called energy poverty, and um, you know there might be ways that we could through Bose through the redevelopment of the stadium start a conversation about energy poverty, hi highlight how the um, you know solar panels being used on the stadium when the stadium isn't in use. Can we figure out a way to use that energy that they're generating to address energy poverty in the immediate community? Um, another example of an injustice that is faced within cities across Europe is that access to green space tends to be much more common in affluent parts of the city and in poorer parts of the city generally people are crowded into unfit accommodation and that also uh, that also manifests as no green space so can we work with the council and others would people like to work with us in like when you buy your season ticket say you get a tree and that tree gets planted in a forest which like a pocket forest somewhere in the city named after one of the club's legends that uh, that um has like starts to address or rebalance that inequity across the city so um it's really a uh, I think there's an enormous amount of work, really amazing work being done on sustainability and, you know, clubs reducing their carbon footprint and clubs um, trying to look at what they're doing with waste. And we are doing that, like, just to say, and I'm learning, I'm learning from what other clubs have done. I'm not like, you know, I've got um, a, a colleague, um, Stephen Curran, who's helping me out with that. And we're, we're, we're looking through we're, we're literally trying to learn what other clubs are doing and, and put that into practice. That's, that's uh, exciting. But then we're what we're trying to bring to the conversation is this idea that fairness and equity and people should have a voice and the club, clubs across the world can be literally can be guardians of their communities. They can yeah. uplift and give voice to their communities in ways that possibly nothing else can in, uh, at the minute. And so there's a really exciting role for football clubs and other sports clubs to play in that regard. Yeah, I, I read this one interesting quote of yours where you said that back in the days you had these long-lasting institutions of lifelong membership, such as the church or, or, or similar structures. Um, but nowadays, football clubs are one of the few institutions that actually still have this membership and thereby maybe also the possibility to help out over a long extent of time. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a very, like, you know, over the last 30 years, if you were to put it in a very blunt term, but I think the term turns people off sometimes, we've gone through 30 years of neoliberal 
economics and neoliberal policies that have that, that have guided how our, our societies have evolved and and so those things have individualized us they've made people focus highly on their own career and the I, concepts like solidarity and community have been put under great stress and it, it wasn't by accident you know because unions were very powerful things that prevented large business owners from doing exactly what they wanted um, and so were you know churches in many states places religions were these very interesting like uh, certainly in the history of ireland uh, like the, the more recent history is very bleak with the church but but in terms of our own revolution the church would have played a key role in that um, and so places where people congregate were put under huge amounts of pressure, except sport, right? Like, uh, but 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 the ideas of the working class roots and 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 the um, uh, kind of trade union roots of a lot of football has been slowly sort of brushed over in favour of the glitter and the rouge of 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 things that ultimately end in the Super League. But um, I think. Uh, from my perspective, like reclaiming that, um, but also kind of letting people know that over the last 30 years, it has become cooler to be a consumer than a member of a trade union is a really weird thing. It's, it's, it's like a trick that's been played on society where we've been told, you know, businesses are great and trade unions are the thing not to distrust. You know, like it, it's a real weird shift that's occurred in, 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 consciousness uh, and it's not unintentional so football clubs can play a role not just uh, in that comment I was kind of saying like you know I, I'd love to see football clubs in 10 years time not be the only thing that people are lifelong members of you know I'd like to see those other not not that I want to see like the church come back or I want to you know but but like um, I'd like to see the idea of community and the idea of belonging and people um, you know voting along those lines and governments responding to make sure that the types of there are there is security there is the ability to collectively bargain there is the ability to you know join a union you know we've seen in the u.s that incredible situation where the amazon voters the amazon workers voted against unionizing and you're like christ how did we get here you've got this massive corporation that are like literally you know pillaging their workers and their customers for all the money that they can possibly get and yet um there's no uh there's they, somehow the idea of organizing is, is is so scary to people that that the workers vote against it I've, I've got a question i've got a question though because i mean i i absolutely love the idea that you take football kind of as maybe this mirror of of, of society to where um First, you had the workers' union, and then throughout uh, the history, the recent history, um, it got a bit more atomized, maybe, and the influence of corporations grew stronger, um, and it was more made to fit into maybe a capitalist way of exploitation of wealth, uh, of, of, of value that is produced. Um, and then the question for me would be now, though, how do you then counteract this? Um, I mean, your idea is to have something community-grown, something where there's a lot of solidarity, but a lot of 
stereotypes of football clubs are exactly the opposite right you have local feuds you have maybe racism and all of the bad things that are happening uh, also within within the fan scene so so how do you assure that this is actually a place where solidarity grow and where it's not just about you know us beating our local opponents the next match and that's kind of the the end of of, of where our ties you know form Yeah, no, I know. It's it's a really good question. And it is a little bit like society in that term as well. Um, but then you also have to sort of say, like, the divisions are kind of artificial, right? Like, you know, you know, why do you support any individual football club? You know, you go, maybe you're, maybe it's, maybe it's within your family. Maybe it's just a connection. Yeah, because of my grandma. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but like, our, our society, just like it mirrors society and the divisions right like it also kind of highlights how the divisions are a little bit like unreal in many terms like they're not based on anything tangible uh they're based on your support for uh, a club um but also then if you look at again what happened with the super league like uh, the fans of all stripes united on that one you know there was no um there was no question about um you know not doing it because you wanted to get one up on on your rival club right and and in terms of um in terms of climate action there's something similar there too right like you know there's there's certain things that clubs can do and and, and kind of gloat about you could have a really nice you know um there's there's certain elements of kind of corporate social responsibility that a club could get into which would look nice and, and it could be a sort of a unique selling point for your club. But if you're the only club doing good on climate action, it's a waste of time. Like you need everyone we like to, to survive the next 10 years. And it is literally that serious. Like we're, we're at such an incredible tipping point that if we're to survive, if we're to pass on any semblance of a safe and fair world to future generations, then we need everyone doing this. And so one club doing it is, as their unique selling point would be ridiculous you know what i mean yeah so like we are already working with the european football for development network actually we have a meeting later on today with about 10 clubs um and uh, <laughs> it's not confirmed yet but it's exciting <laughs> it could be um uh it, to, to try to take those 10 clubs on a journey of not just sustainability although that's a core component of, of, of a project but but actual um actually trying to look at, at justice and and rallying behind maybe some global campaigns that promote rights and children's rights in particular to a healthy environment and see where that can guide us and steer us so like there's there's massive opportunities for clubs to um use their leverage and their platforms uh to overcome the barriers that you know like obviously like we don't want it would take the fun out of football if, if the rivalries went but those rivalries are about football they're not about the future of society and so we can put aside the rivalries when it comes to the very and we've like football fans have shown that in in england and and, and across europe like that the rivalries are are uh, surface level like but what goes deep is our, is solidarity And and that's what we've forgotten about. And that's why the Solidarity Fund is nonsense, right? It's because like genuine solidarity is much deeper than that. And caring for your neighbor is a very important element of life 
And once you forget about that, you start the spiral that allows you to be exploited. That's the key to it, right? Like the minute you stop caring about the person next door to you, the minute you stop caring about community, you're ripe for the picking because it's a divide and conquer sort of situation. Um, so, so if we can, if football cl clubs could nurture that sense of care and, and, and community and, and rather than um, solidarity funds, they'd be very, very powerful. Whenever um, Bose announced one of these schemes, like uh, similarly with like with your position and also with the refugees welcome shirts, they get it like the club gets a lot of good press, but there's also uh, obvious like reactionary response, which kind of accuse them of quote unquote, like wokeism, that it's all kind of like just a good branding point for them, right, to have this kind of image of this kind of community club that like is kind of countercultural and stuff like this. How does, how do you kind of ensure that it's like, it's not just kind of empty and it's like actually, is actually affecting change and it's not just solely about like uh, a kind of a marketing thing for the, for the club? Well, I think to be honest, it, like it's genuine, you know, like when you team up with Amnesty International and you put refugees welcome on on your jersey you start a conversation that a lot of clubs would shy away from and um you can't get much more genuine than that in that instance so if it if it attracts people who um share that message or share the share the spirit behind that message to the club and and uh, the club benefits financially as a result that's kind of secondary if, if you get me so um you know we still in europe and they, like it's so these messages are so important to get out there but like fortress europe is still such a massive mm -hmm. thing i don't know if you saw the reports last week of of coast guards uh, towing migrants back into turkish waters and leaving them there this is happening on our borders and it's murder like it's it, you don't get much worse than these sort of instances so so uh, um what can we do as a football club? Well, we can highlight some of those issues and hope that people pay attention. In like in terms of um, you know, we've we've just recently appointed a an, an inclusion officer at the club, and he's doing unbelievable work in terms of bringing together fans who maybe have different needs when it comes to how to access the stadium, how to how to engage with their membership, and it's just a case of listening to what they want and need and trying to address that both with the current daily Mount and with the redevelopment. Um, then, you know, we've got uh, walking football for elderly people. We've got, um, uh, we've, 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 we've uh, obviously started with, with a significant women's team now. And, and so, so like, is there an element of this that, that is, is um, like, it, it makes it makes the club successful uh, the, the, the the ground is mm -hmm. packed now um, and and not all league of ireland grounds are every match right um, and but is it just because it's it's woke nonsense or is it because it resonates with people and they come mm -hmm. uh, and and are the people who are slinging accusations of being woke like you know have they even explored what the term woke means? <laughs> like it's it's got nothing to do with people in Ireland. Like it's 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 a black uh, movement in the US about women's rights. So like you know we're we the whole thing 
Twitter is just an awful place and it's easy to start kind of slinging accusations and and there is an element of of um you know you don't want to be preaching at people but I, I don't think that's what we're trying to do like I think if I was here to telling you that the world was coming to an end and everyone had to pull up their socks and get on with recycling and you know that'd be a message that uh, maybe you could accuse me of being woke because it actually puts no responsibility on me. It's just I dish it out to people. Whereas I think what we're trying to do is take on a very challenging conversation about, well, how can communities, how can communities benefit from the transition that we're about to go through and how do football clubs play that role? And and to be honest, there's nothing woke about that. There's nothing woke about caring about making sure that your community stays a prosperous place and that people are cared for. And, um, you know, nobody accused Marcus Rashford of being woke. And that, that's an important point. Like, he was dealing with a very serious social issue. Imagine accusing him of being woke for trying to flee kids. hungry children. <laughs> you know, like, like, like um, they're, these are very serious, deeply entrenched issues. And, and if people aren't recognizing the seriousness of them, uh, the in, like the the confluence of inequality and climate action is enormous, and and if and if you think it's woke to talk about it, you haven't taught enough about what it means. You haven't taught enough about how you personally and individually could lose out, and you haven't taught enough about how your family and your community could lose out as a result of those two things colliding in a way where people haven't been talking about them or haven't been exploring them or raising the voices of community. So, um, yeah, I think look. That's a little bit, it's a little bit of a, a rant there. Uh, I really believe that, um, you know, I, I, some, of the, some of the stuff that we get in response is mostly banter. We get a lot of slagging. I think, I think people identify underneath all of that. There's something sincere There's happening. also like um, tied into kind of a club rivalry thing, right? That people want, yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. It's kind, it's kind yeah. of what we were talking about just a moment ago where we, we you know, like there is that... Uh, element of ribbing but then uh, as things go on and as we make announcements and there's a lot more to come in the coming weeks and months you do see the people being like fair play they're actually moving and and on this issue in particular it this isn't a, like we don't want this to be just a bose thing we want people to come on this journey with us because we want other clubs we want football associations we want everyone involved in this because if we could mobilize world football behind climate justice specifically, we could do something really great. You yeah. know? And I feel like in this endeavor, some healthy amount of skepticism and maybe even criticism is very important, right? Because there have been so many instances of greenwashing of, of, of companies, of clubs, of everything, that of course, you know, you should double check, is this a genuine approach to make things better? Or, you know, is it just something shiny that you can put on your shirts or whatever and then be, be, be happy about it? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think, I think one of the, I do, you know, I, I, we, we don't get away with greenwashing in this decade, you know, like this isn't something that um, I can stand here and, and say all sorts of stuff about how we need to make the transition and then do nothing and, and expect that in 10 years time, you guys can't come back to me and say, what was that nonsense? You know, like it'll have a direct impact on my future career prospects mm -hmm. if we don't do something. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I think you're dead right. I think it is really, really important that we um, 
that 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 we have we interrogate what people are saying we interrogate the commitments that are being made not just by like football clubs should be interrogated but really governments that would be the first place to start with who we interrogate and then large corporations like if uh, are they doing what they say they're doing uh, or are they trying to pull the wool over our eyes and then football clubs but yeah absolutely i think um everyone should be like and that's part of i guess that's part of the project we're discussing with the european football development network is how do we put in place the metrics and the, the scoring systems to understand whether uh, the steps that are being taken are yeah, working and, which is yeah and how to start the conversation right and i feel like their football may be a very good vehicle because it might open up new audiences to topics such as climate change, such as migration, um, that are not part of this, do not use Vogue, but like very academic, maybe leftist sphere that talk about these issues maybe more than others. Um, and so I think it might be might be very, very important. Yeah, completely. Like, um, for example, um, we're having a match, we're actually having a conversation with um, Barcelona in about an hour, and um, they uh, have... 350 million followers yeah. like that's a significant percentage of the world's population it's not even like you know like that's a large amount of the world's population so if they were and and they already do great work with unicef and highlighting children's rights issues and you know like so that type of thing is enormous and it, it and and if if we had the whole football uh, sphere uh, moving in similar lines. Yes, absolutely. It, it, it is the best vehicle imaginable for these conversations. Loads of people spend a lot more time reading the back pages than the front pages, including myself, actually, for most of them. Well, uh, we won't keep Barcelona on the line waiting too, <laughs> too, too, too long. But if people are interested in kind of finding out more about what Bose are doing with, with you and climate and also community-led, how can they kind of if they want to find out more information or maybe they're um, abroad and like follow the club, where can they, where would be the best place to look? Well, the Bose website um, is uh, always a good starting place. Um, that's just uh, bohemianfc.com. Um, there's my Twitter uh, seems to have, at least as much about Bose as my work <laughs> in this day, at this point in time. Um, so that's uh, Sean McCaba, I think. Maybe you could include it. I can't really remember what my own. I'll, I'll put it in the description. And, and um, links and stuff, yeah. So. yeah. But uh, you can also reach out to me directly at, and uh, let me just, uh, let me just um, figure out what that email is. I'm, I'm great at these things, obviously. I just see <laughs> you a lot of Press release. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've no idea what it's, it's climate officer at uh, bohemianfc.com, I think. I think, but you might just confirm that. We'll do. Sounds uh, professional. Oh, wait, no, here it is. That does, yeah. No, it, it, it's, it's all very. Um, no, actually, it's climate officer at bohemians.ie. Okay. Um, so, yeah, like, do reach out if anyone has any ideas or thoughts or wants to share anything. Um, we're yeah. busy it's a voluntary position that's an important thing to stress so we're doing what we can yeah. um and and trying to get back to people as we can so 
Um, if we if you don't hear from us, it doesn't mean that we didn't appreciate your inquiry. It just means that we're a little bit yeah. snowed on. And it. what has been the response from other clubs when you've been trying to reach out? Has it kind of spread quickly? Yeah, oh, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, people are re- very keen to engage. Like, in fact, I'm struggling to keep up. <laughs> so it's good. It's really, really positive. All right, Sean. Really Thank positive. you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, guys, it was a pleasure. Yeah, chatting. yeah and thanks really for your work. Nice I think it's incredibly important. Um, and lovely to see I you. I appreciate this that. Well, hopefully, hopefully, like like you say, hopefully it will work, and hopefully, uh, it it you know, it it strikes something genuine, because yeah. I think I think the authenticity of everything is 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 what is the measure of it. So we'll uh, endeavour to do that. Mm-hmm. All right, Sean, have a good good Friday. Nice one, weekend. guys. Thanks a lot. Take care, Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. Bye bye. Podcast Network.